Welcome to the South Coast Christian Podcast. I'm Pastor Tom Westerfield. On behalf of myself and our entire staff, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope this message uplifts and encourages you this week. Um, We're starting a new series today, and it's called Wonder, Wonder, and it's a three-week series, and we're going to actually end this, it's actually a four-week series, Uh, The first three weeks are going to be kind of focusing on the Old Testament. And the last week is going to end on our Christmas Eve service. And, you know, how many of you have been a part of a Christmas Eve service? Yeah? And uh, it's a special event. We actually do a candle lighting. Uh, It's one of those services that we really encourage you to invite your friends and your family, uh, people that maybe would not normally come to church. Tell them about our candlelight event. And uh, we want to see the house packed out. That will be our weekend service this year. So Christmas falls on a Sunday, and so this year we made the decision that that Christmas Eve, 4 p.m., would be our weekend service, and that really gives the ability for our worship team, all of our volunteers, our staff, to be able to enjoy Christmas with their friends and with their family uh, through the holidays. So Sunday, my expectation is that for each and every one of you that you're not going to forget the real meaning of Christmas. That you're going to understand that it's not just about the presence under the tree, but it's actually about worshiping our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay. So I'll come and haunt you on Christmas Day if you're not worshiping the Lord, okay? But uh, we're going to also broadcast our Christmas Eve service on that Sunday as well. If uh, if some of you uh, were not able to come to the Christmas Eve service, it will be also um, broadcast uh, throughout the week. So we encourage you to be a part of that. So we begin this new series... um, that will lead us into Christmas. And I entitled it Wonder. Um, I know that there's been many series on wonder, but I entitled it Wonder with the goal for it to awaken the wonder of Christmas in our life. Uh, many times we get familiar with the many different holidays that we have throughout the year. Um, they become routine. It's not that we don't enjoy these different holiday events, it's, but, but we've just become accustomed to each holiday. We've become familiar with each holiday. And for example, the 4th of July, we know that for many of you on the 4th of July, you dress up in red, white, and blue, right? And, and we have a, a feast, we get together family and friends, and, and towards the later part of the evening, we usually go find a place where we can watch the fireworks, which really represents the battles of freedom in, as an America, and so we celebrate that, and, 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 and so it's, it's, it's really cool to be able to experience those different things. And like, for example, New Year's Eve, what do we do on New Year's Eve? You know, isn't it interesting that all the holidays we eat a lot? In the Roman days, I think there was like 200 holidays. It's no, I, they were all obese in those Roman days because, I mean, all you're doing was eating. And, and so, but in New Year's Eve, you know, we get together once again with family and friends and we celebrate together. We make promises that we can't keep, you know, each year. Then we watch the ball drop from Times Square and, and it really ushers in the new year of whatever year we're coming into. Christmas has become a holiday about giving. Many people start off by buying gifts months in advance. Annette starts off on Amazon, starts to buy all the gifts, and, and she's always looking for that special gift that is going to be memorable to all of her family. She wants something that's special, that is meaningful to, to her friends and to her family. And in the United States, Christmas is the most expensive holiday of the year. One statistic I read that says that throughout the United States, through all of our holidays, that we spend 
almost $1 trillion. Wow, $1 trillion. Now, the only one that can spend more than that is our government. But we spend $1 trillion. And out of that $1 trillion, $700 billion is spent on Christmas. Crazy stats. For a believer, Christmas is also a holiday about giving. But it goes beyond the gifts that we might give to our friends and to our family. It's a celebration of a gift that was once given to us by God that forever lives. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the Savior of the world. He is a son that came from heaven that was born of a baby in the town of Bethlehem. And we celebrate this day called Christmas because it's the greatest gift that we could ever imagine and have ever received. But many have either lost or have never discovered the true meaning of Christmas. The miracle of Jesus being born 2,000 years ago. And as we study God's word, my hope is that it will awaken the wonder in our hearts regarding this magnificent event that forever changed the world. In this series, we will look at the birth of Jesus from the Old Testament passages And I'm going to highlight three prophetic words from three different books, three prophets, minor prophets, or two minor prophets in the Old Testament. As you know, sometimes the best way to understand our present condition, sometimes the best way to look at our present condition is look back at our history, to look at the past. Because it brings greater clarity and appreciation of where we stand today. The Bible, and it's an extraordinary book, God's Word, gives us the wonderful opportunity to look back into the past. To discover how God revealed his plan for all mankind. Today I want to look at a few passages of scripture that is found in the book of Micah. M-I-C-A-H. Micah was a prophet for God around 700 B.C. during the same time as Isaiah the prophet. The book of Micah is a book that combines both judgment and hope. Israel was again in rebellion against God. They were, serve, they were worshiping and serving many false gods. And so Micah's book is a prophetic word towards him. But it's even more of a prophetic word towards the leadership of that day. The, the, the kings, the priests, the false prophets that were literally leading the people of Israel away from God. It was a prophetic word to warn them, you're going the wrong direction. I am bringing destruction because of the sin that you're introducing to the people. Because of their wicked deeds, Jerusalem would be destroyed and the people would be sent into Babylonian captivity. But the other part of Micah's prophecy was one of hope. Not just judgment, but hope. For those who had traveled into Babylonian captivity, they would eventually be be delivered, be delivered from their bondage. See, Micah is an interesting book as it displays both judgment and the mercy of God. See, we learn things from when we go into God's word and we start reading it. And I I share this message today because as you read through the seven chapters of Micah, I hope it jumps alive, the prophetic word of not just for that day, but the prophetic word for the future. I hope it brings wonder to Christmas to you. It's a book that foresees the salvation of Israel through a righteous king. And let's begin by looking at some of the writings that God spoke 
to Micah in the very beginning of the book of Micah chapter 1, and we're going to start with verses 1 and 2. It's the seventh to the last book in the Old Testament. If you have your Bibles today, I encourage you to open them up. If you have it on your reading device, open it up because we're going to stay in the book of Micah. And you might want to be able to follow along with those scriptures because I know they're on the screen. But when they go off the screen, you're wondering, what did Pat... Grab your Bible again. It's the seventh book, seventh to the last book in the Old Testament. The Lord gave this message to Micah of Moresheth during the years of when Jotham... Ahaz and Hezekiah were kings of Judah. The visions he saw concerned both Samaria and Jerusalem. Attention! Let all the people of the world listen. Let the earth and everything in it hear. The sovereign Lord is making accusations against you. The Lord speaks from his holy temple. We see several things that are happening in these first two verses And I want to bring it to your attention. First, Micah gives us the years that he served uh, God as a prophet by sharing with the three kings that that served, that that were reigning during his time of prophecy. So it translates that he was serving as a prophet for 30 to 40 years, and it gives us a date that he was, that this prophecy was coming at the year 700 B.C. And for some of you that might not know, B.C. stands for before Christ. So 700 years before Christ, the prophet Micah is sharing this word. And just so you know, A.D., that, that's the time that we're living now, is A.D. is the Latin term in the year of the Lord. Do you realize that our whole calendar is based upon Jesus? Before Christ? And then after Christ was born, we started a whole new calendar. Come on. That's just cool stuff right there. Next we see this proclamation that's being given, and it is for all the world to hear. It's directed towards the nation of Israel, but see, whatever happens in the nation of Israel impacts us as a people. For those who are followers of Jesus Christ, it impacts, it actually impacts the entire world. It's important for us to understand. We must understand that this is the development of God's kingdom, And verse 2 says, let all the people of the world listen. Let the earth and everything in it hear. This prophecy is written in God's word so that we can hear it today as well. I am so grateful that that we don't just have one little page. But God has given us the entire book of the Bible, the word of God, to lead us to understand our past, the beginnings, and the history, to understand where we're going, to understand the birth of Christ, his death, his resurrection, and to be able to give us hope for today that we can continue to follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The prophecy is written in God's word so we can hear it. As you read the entirety of this chapter, you find the judgment is on the capital cities of Samaria and Jerusalem. Samaria was the capital of Israel. Uh, Jerusalem was the capital of Judah. This is back when they had two kingdoms. God will destroy these cities because of their great sins. But today I would remind you that this judgment is upon all mankind. For the apostles, Paul says, for all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. No man is righteous. No person is righteous. We all need a Messiah. We all need a Savior. We all need a King that can lead us out of the destruction of sin into a hope. The book of Micah applies to us today. 
the wonderful mercy or the wonderful prophecy Micah gives us is not just one that ends in judgment. Eventually, God's mercy is revealed and God restores Israel by rebuilding the temple and by rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. This prophecy also serves to foreshadow God's new kingdom that would be revealed through his son, Jesus Christ. And I want you to look now, we're going to skip forward into Micah chapter 5. And we're going to, I'm going to read verses 2 through 4 today. And this is, going to get, this is our main text today that we're going to get in the heart of the message today. Listen to these words. It says, but you, O Bethlehem. Ephrathah, Ephrathah, I didn't even practice that word, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. Then at last his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land. And he will stand to lead, in some translations it says, to shepherd. And he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Then his people will live there undisturbed, for he will be highly honored around the world. Let's just take a moment to pray. So Lord, we thank you for your word today. And God, I pray once again that your word will just jump off the page that it will not be just words read, but it will be, Lord God, rhema. It will be revelation. It will be something that challenges our heart and our mind in su- such a way, Lord God, that it will change our actions. It will change our directions. It will change our thinking from one direction, Lord God, to following you, Lord God, in a whole other way, a whole other direction, a whole other hope. Lord God, I pray that the word of God, we will not waste but God, it will become alive to us. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. The first promise being foretold is found in this scripture is what I would call the Bethlehem significance. God is revealing to Israel and to all people that a savior would be brought from this little town of Bethlehem. Why is this so significant? There's several reasons. The first thought is that Bethlehem, considered in that day, Bethlehem was considered to be insignificant by most of the people. It was small. It was just a small village. That's what the scripture declares. It's not a great military city that's like Jerusalem. It didn't have the power or the strength of such a city that a larger city would provide. But throughout scripture, we often see this truth, that God reveals his strength through weakness, that God reveals his strength through something of a smaller stature, that God always doesn't take the mightiest things. So many times God takes the least of things, and all of a sudden his power is shown through the least of things. Why would God take the least of things and all of a sudden say, I'm going to show my power through that? Why would God take this little town village called Bethlehem and say, that's where the Messiah is going to be born? Because you know why? Because God doesn't want us to rely on our own strength. God doesn't want us to think that we are so great and mighty and so powerful that we can do this thing on ourselves. God wants us to rely on his strength, on his power. He says, I can take the smallest of things and make something great. And God takes this small little village of Bethlehem. He said, this is where the Messiah will be born. Come on, somebody. We see this over and over throughout Scripture. How God reveals his truth. Through the craziest places. The, The gospel spread through a guy that was murdering people, the Apostle Paul. Yes. 
God does the miraculous. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2, King Herod discovers this truth. All of a sudden, the magi, the wise men, appear at his door. They start knocking and say, hey, we're looking for this new, this new king of the Jews. We're looking for this Messiah. We're looking for this Savior that's supposed to be born. Where can we go find him? Where can we go worship him? And it disturbed King Herod so greatly that he called his, his religious leaders, he calls his wise men, he says, what are they talking about? What, what, are we, what are we saying? What are they saying here? There's going to be a new king that's going to be born? I mean, Herod's going like, wait a minute, I'm king. What is this all about? Guess where they look to? When all of a sudden those religious leaders, they go back into the Old Testament, they open up the scroll of Micah, and they come back to King Herod and said, yes. And they literally referred to Micah 2.2, that the king would be born in Bethlehem. I had this epiphany. Can you imagine going on Monday, because there's no mail delivered today. Well, I, I know, I think there's mail delivered every day now. It's just, once say Christmas hits. And you, and you open up, you open up your, uh, you see an envelope, and you open up the letter, and it's an invitation for a magnificent event. But it's going to be 700 years in the future. Book of Micah. An invitation for a significant, magnificent event. The birth of the Messiah, the birth of the Savior. Wait a minute, you've got to wait 700 years. It's, going to, it's still coming. That's what's taking place. Another promise that is fulfilled from Bethlehem is that it represents where King David was born. This is important because it actually answers another prophecy. The Gospel of John states these in John chapter 7, verse 42. says, For the Scripture clearly states that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. Another interesting fact. I'm just going to share some things about Bethlehem because I want the wonder of Christmas. I want you to understand how, how important this is, that God started revealing that there would be a Savior back all the way into Genesis and he just keeps on revealing that I'm bringing a Messiah. I'm bringing a Savior for each and every one of you. Another interesting note about Bethlehem is it served as a location where Ruth met her kinsman, Redeemer, Boaz. I don't know if you remember that story, but you can read it in the book of Ruth. Ruth and her mother-in-law, were, Naomi, were destitute. All the, the husbands died. All of Naomi's sons died. Ruth would not leave her mother-in-law Naomi alone. She said, no, 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 I'm going to stay by her side. We're not, I'm not going to leave her alone. And so they traveled together. And they traveled to, together to a little town called Bethlehem. And it is in Bethlehem that Ruth meets what's called her kinsman redeemer. When all of a sudden, when all the men, all the male who were the providers in those days were, were gone, all of a sudden the next relative, the next nearest relative would have to step up and become the kinsman redeemer. It's where she meets Boaz, where all of a sudden she was destitute. Her and her mother-in-law were absolutely destitute. They didn't know how they were going to survive, and all of a sudden steps in a redeemer. See, it's a foreshadowing of what, who we are in Christ. Where we are, we are dead to our sins, we have no hope, we are destitute, we are left on the side to beg, and all of a sudden, a kinsman redeemer, his name is Jesus Christ, steps into our life, and he saves us from our sin because we were hopeless, and now all of a sudden we have hope in Jesus Christ. You see, out of this town of Bethlehem, God reveals his beautiful story of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It should bring back 
the wonder of Christmas into our life. The final thought. The name Bethlehem means house of bread. (laughs) If you read your Bible at all, you understand bread is so significant throughout the word of God. It begins in the Old Testament when the, it, the children of Israel are wandering through the wilderness. They have no, they have no means. They have no sustenance. They have nothing to, to survive on. And all of a sudden, every morning, God would rain down from heaven, from the sky, this thing called manna, which was bread. It would rain down and it would provide sustenance for the people as they're wandering through this, through this wilderness for 40 years. Every, they couldn't store it up. Because it would spoil. Every day they would have to go out and collect this, this bread called manna. And it would provide sustenance in their life. In the New Testament, it was part of a, the two significant miracles that Jesus performed when he fed the multitudes. Two different times Jesus fed in Scripture at least. There might have been more times. But in Scripture it's recorded one time he fed over 4,000 men, which represents more than 4,000 people. Another time he fed over 5,000. And both times he fed them with, with, with bread and fish. And he just, he didn't have a whole lot of bread. It's not, it's not like all of a sudden a semi-truck pulled up and all of a sudden there's a whole deal, deal of bread. He had like a few loaves of bread and he starts to break the bread. And it starts to multiply. And it feeds the, the thousands of people. It just keeps on multiplying. See, in the Bible, bread represents something special it represents something that's going to take place in our life it represents a miracle that's about ready to happen following the miraculous feeding of the 5,000 Jesus shared the following words in John chapter 6 to the crowds of people who continue to follow him he writes in John 6 32 through 34 he says I tell you the truth Jesus words I tell you the truth Moses didn't give you the bread of heaven No, no, no. You you think Moses gave you that bread? No, no, no. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And listen to what the crowd says. Sir, they said. They understand the whole story about Moses. They understood the daily bread that was given to the Israelites every single morning. They say these words, give us that bread every day. There's a word for some of you here today that you need to grab a hold of here. That, that the sustenance of Jesus, the experience that we have of Jesus is not a one-time experience. It's a daily experience that we should have in our life. Each and every day, we need to experience the goodness of Christ in our life. Every single day, they would wake up wondering, how are we going to survive? And all of a sudden, from the sky, manna would come down from heaven. Every single day where you think, how am I going to survive today? You need to have put your hope in Jesus Christ, and he will bring a new fresh anointing in your life. You don't have to worry. You don't have to fear. You have Jesus. You have the power of his Holy Spirit residing with you. You don't have to fear what step you take. Walk by faith, not by sight, and put Jesus first in your life. Savior out of Bethlehem 
would be born. Bethlehem carries so much significance. Out of something small, God does something great. You might think you're small. You might think you're insignificant. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, guess what? God can do magnificent things in and through your life. The other promise that I want to share with you today is this. Also found in Micah 5, the passage of Scripture that we shared. The strength of the good shepherd. The ruler of shepherd prophesied in Micah is one whose origins, it says in the Scripture, are in the distant past. That's found in verse 2. Meaning this ruler, this king, has always been. He's not something that just appeared, excuse me. He has always been. Meaning this ruler, this king, is from all of eternity, implying his divinity. Only Jesus, catch this, only Jesus, the Son of God, can fulfill this prophecy. Only Jesus, no one else whose origins are from the distant past. Verse 3 of Micah 5 gives insight that everything changes when this woman in labor gives birth. Everything changes. Jesus has arrived. The new king, the new shepherd is taking the throne. This was not like the kings of the past. Israel and Judah produced many kings throughout their history. Some good, mostly bad. But this new king that comes from Bethlehem, he's different. He will not be cut from the same cloth. He will be both fully God and fully man. As John 1 states, and the word became flesh. And the word became flesh. He will be the most powerful king whose rulings will be final. But he will also be the king who shepherds his people, who leads his people. He will be a king who cares about his people. He will be both a good shepherd and a mighty king. Most kings during that time were political in nature and are concerned more about their control and about their legacy than about the welfare of their people. Jesus' concern is about the people God entrusted to him. It was all about serving and protecting his flock. The English Standard Version translates Chapter or verse 4 of chapter 5 this way. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. We get great insight of this new shepherd king through Jesus himself. In John chapter 10, we get insight of who this shepherd is going to be. Jesus declares, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. It not only takes great strength to stand up for what is right, and Jesus was willing as his good shepherd to to be able to stand up for righteousness, but it takes even greater strength to be able to lay down someone's life for those who he loves. And that is our good shepherd. The wonder of Christmas is knowing that we have a king, that we have a shepherd who loves us so much that he was willing to come from heaven to earth to die for our sins. He was born in Bethlehem as a baby, grew up his life. And, the, and I don't know when that pl- time took place, but there was a, there's, a, there's a time, I don't know how young it was, that he knew his entire life was about the end, the crucifixion, the resurrection. See, it should encourage us towards greater works 
of love and sacrifice? Is your life about the moment of your pleasure or is your life about, you know what? I have been placed here to serve God. I have been placed here to follow my king. He is a good shepherd. He is a good king. I can put my faith in him. There's an interesting verse in chapter 6 of Micah. Basically, it's a dialogue between God and his people. And and it appears to be kind of an imaginary dialogue for the purpose of of revealing or bringing clarity to, to the truth that God wants to reveal. And the question that is asked by the people is this. What can we bring to the Lord? What can we bring to the Lord? And then there is a list of suggestions. And you got to understand why they're saying, what can we bring to the Lord? They're asking, what can we bring to the Lord to make things right? We know we're sinful people. What can we bring to the Lord? And it goes through different things of burnt offerings. One-year-old calves, should we bring those things? Should we bring a thousand rams? Would, would, that, would, that, would that be okay? Would that, you know, uh, appease you? Would a thousand rams? Or 10,000 rivers of olive oil. Can you imagine? You could make a fortune off that. 10,000 rivers of olive oil. The conversation is filled with hyperbole. But for a purpose. What price must they pay for their sins? What would be pleasing to God? Then comes the final offer. It comes in the form of a question. It says, should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins. And immediately the Lord responds as the good shepherd. No. And I want you to listen to these words. Oh people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you. To do what is right. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. God didn't desire more ritualistic rituals or religious rituals or sacrifices. Instead, the Lord responds with what Israel already knew. God desires righteousness, doing what is right, simply put. Love mercy, be kind, be good. Tough to do sometimes in those Christmas holiday lines. Be kind, be good. Tough to do when all of a sudden when I was driving through San Juan yesterday trying to go get more whipped cream and there's a million cars out there driving at two miles an hour. Tough to be good. Love mercy. Be kind. Be good, Pastor Tom. Be kind. Be good, Pastor Tom. And humbly follow God. There's some powerful truth right there. Be righteous. Do what is right. Love mercy. And humbly follow after God. It's not rocket science. God gives us a pretty basic plan of what he desires from our life if we choose to be obedient. And see, if we choose to do that, the good shepherd takes care of the rest. He'll take care of the rest. If we choose to put our faith in Jesus and follow the king that God has provided to us, Jesus, guess what? He'll take care of the rest. Today I want to close with this, mess, this, this passage of Scripture. It's in the last chapter of Micah, Micah chapter 7. It's almost the last two verses of that chapter, verses seven, or 18 and 19. And listen to these words today, right before we take communion, because I think it's so powerful. Where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant? 
overlooking the sins of his special people. And when we say overlooking, I want to take that light. It's not like Jesus paid the ultimate price. He died on a cross for your sins. You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. That's a good shepherd. That's a mighty king. Once again, you will have compassion on us. Ever feel like, man, I keep failing God. I keep making, I try. God just wants you to keep trying. He knows your heart. He wants you to try. If you keep on following Jesus, sin continues to start falling off of life. And all of a sudden, sin is just no longer part of you. As you keep on following Jesus, he knows that. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. That is our good shepherd. That is our mighty king. That is a prophecy that comes out of the book of Micah, 700 years before the birth of Christ. You don't think that God loves you? You don't think that God cares for you? He sent an invitation so many thousands of years ago to awaken us to understand who Jesus is to our life. This Christmas, I want you to experience the wonder of Christmas in a new and a fresh way, like never before. And before we take communion today, I want to lead us in prayer. And for some of you, maybe you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never taken that step of salvation. And I would declare to you, today is that day of salvation. If you're watching us online today, Maybe it's time for you to say, yeah, I want to commit my life to Jesus Christ. Maybe it's this Christmas season that you want to recommit your life to Jesus. Say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus every, I want a new experience with Jesus every single day of my life. Will you bow your heads in prayer with me today? And I'd love for everyone to repeat this prayer with me. I just want to say a salvation prayer. And if you're here today and you've never really chosen to follow Jesus, or maybe you need to make a recommitment in your life today, maybe you feel like you have just completely wandered away from Christ, and it's, He's calling you back, then today I want you to repeat this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, today I choose to follow you. Thank you for being my Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Setting me free from bondage. Lord, today I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Give me the power of your Holy Spirit. Help me to do what is right. Order my steps. I love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Thanks for listening to the South Coast Christian Podcast. We appreciate those who give on a regular basis to South Coast because through your giving, we are able to provide these resources. For more information about South Coast, including service times and ways to give, please visit southcoastchristian.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. Thanks again, and may this week be filled with new opportunities where you can receive and share God's love.